and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health. Well, welcome once again, everyone. This is Dr. Ron Hanningaki, and we're broadcasting the Real Health podcast again today. And we're fortunate to have Dr. Lucas Timms as our honored guest. Dr. Timms, thank you for, for being on with us to help us understand a little bit more about the metabolic approach to cancer. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Ron. This has uh, been a good uh, ongoing conversation between you and I, and uh, excited to get back into it and talk about another couple of key components of the, of the terrain-based approach that we take here. Yep. Yeah. So this is really integral to integrative oncology where uh, we're trying to fill in the gap that some people have experienced in terms of, doctor, what can I do to take better care of myself and help get this cancer under control? And so today we've, we've talked about in the past um, epigenetics, metabolics, environment, and that's that was a really good uh recording. And now we're going to shift into inflammation and angiogenesis. They're the second group of terrain areas that a patient can begin to think about, a cancer patient, or even someone that's got uh, a family history or increased risk for cancer. These are all areas that people can become more aware and start to make changes in their lives that will help either reduce their risk or re or slow the growth or stop the growth of the cancering process. So tell us uh, a little bit, how would inflammation and angiogenesis go together, uh, Dr. Timms? Well, they're both, um, they're both drivers of not only cancer, but you know, you could kind of say all chronic disease. Um, they are inherent processes that happen in our body and in, in, in can happen in a healthy way that helps to protect us and helps us to heal when we get injured and there's acute inflammation. There's such thing as good inflammation and good angiogenesis. The problem is that with cancer, unfortunately, um, when we talk about chronic inflammation and cancer angiogenesis, they kind of hijack those, those, uh, what could, what, would normally be healthy functions in our body and, and may, and kind of use them to their advantage to grow and spread. Sure. Yeah. If, if, if we cut ourselves, uh, we want some inflammation to come into that cut to protect us from getting an infection there. We want new blood vessels to start growing in the direction of that wound in order to heal the wound. But cancer has been described as a non-healing wound where these processes actually 
as you say, drive the cancering process and can make it worse. So right. uh, what are some of the uh, chronic causes of inflammation that might might be affecting a cancer patient? Well, it's, you know, inflammation is such a uh, a, uh, a deep subject, you know, we could, we could do several podcasts just on inflammation sure. alone. Um, I think there was a book written not too long ago called inflammation nation, uh, talking about the U S obviously. And basically our whole, you know, modern culture and society, everything from what we eat to, uh, the chronic high levels of stress, our poor sleep habits, um, the environment that we're exposing ourselves to all these things really can drive inflammation, unfortunately. Um, and, and, and a lot of, uh, medications too, you know, we're a heavily medicated society as well. And so a lot of medications also, you know, cause inflammation in other parts of the body. And so, uh, it's, it's a major, a major linchpin, um, in, in all, in all chronic illnesses, like we talked about, but in cancer, you know, I, I see it as if you can't control inflammation, you can't control cancer. How do you, how do, how would a cancer patient or anyone know that they had uh, chronic inflammation in their body? What would be some of the ways that they might experience this? Yeah, well, obviously th there are some, you know, various constellations of symptoms. You know, there could be joint pain, there could be gut problems or digestive problems. Uh, brain fog, fatigue, um, you know, skin rashes, trouble breathing, all, you know, it, it really depends on what systems are being affected by the inflammation. Right. Right. But, uh, it really can be, and a lot of times, interestingly enough, when patients go to their traditional doctor with these kind of various complaints, um, they oftentimes don't know what to do with them. Right. Yeah. 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 Unless there's a very kind of cut and dry diagnosis. So you've got, you know, you've got arthritis in this joint or you've got, you know, colitis or whatever. And they label it, which is basically just saying, oh, you have inflammation of this part of your body. But their answer to chronic inflammation is uh, is kind of a Band-Aid approach. It's not really addressing getting back to what you talked about a second ago with what are, what's actually driving the inflammation, which is our our diet and our lifestyle and our environment those issues aren't really being addressed. And so patients, oftentimes these, these symptoms just get um, kind of band-aided and, and the actual driver of the inflammation is not being addressed. Sometimes it's not even known. Uh, for example, chronic infections in the body can be hidden. Uh, mm. Chronic sinus infection, a dental infection, an abscess or an infected tooth or autoimmune diseases uh, that are causing leaky gut and causing uh, bacteria from the gut to get into the into the body and trigger inflammatory responses, which can show up as autoimmune diseases. So, so these hidden things. What would be some lab things that we could do that might help a patient uh, understand that they they do have hidden inflammation or chronic inflammation? Yeah, there's a, a lot of great lab tests uh, that we usually include in our, you know, our initial panel with a, certainly with all of our cancer patients. But I, I would I would say you could probably run these on on any patient with a chronic illness. Um, uh, a, a great one to start with. It's kind of a general inflammation marker is C-reactive protein. Yeah. I, I, I particularly like to use the high sensitivity one. 
versus the uh, the general cardio one. Um, sedimentation rate, which is a measure of kind of the uh, how thick and viscous the blood is and how long it takes to, to settle in, in the tube. Um, lactase dehydrogenase, lactic acid is a byproduct of inflammation. And so this enzyme LDH or lactase dehydrogenase, when there's a lot of inflammation, it, it gets ramped up. Um, ferritin is another one, especially in cancer patients, uh, which is usually looked at as a, a measurement of stored iron but it actually can be an acute phase reactant and can, um, and can mimic inflammation in the body or at least uh, reflect the inflammation levels in the body. Um, reverse T3. I know that's another one that you like, you really yeah, like to watch. I do uh, measure of not only inflammation, but oxidative stress, which are very similar type issues. Uh, vitamin D levels, you know, when they're low, you can, if patients are supplementing correctly, some patients won't be, but if they're supplementing correctly and they're not able to get their vitamin D levels up easily, that can be a sign of, of a lot of inflammation in the body. Uh, and then looking at, uh, you know, doing some, doing functional stool testing, functional gut testing. Uh, there's lots of things that you can look at in the gut in terms of, uh, different enzymes, um, and, uh, and, uh, secretory IGA, things like that, that can look at more inflammation in the gut itself. These are great examples, Dr. Tims, and it, uh, brings up a really good point that I think one of the fascinating discoveries, uh, in, in, in the metabolic approach to cancer, Dr. Nation Winters, that she used, uh, three or four of these as actual markers as to whether or not the cancer is under control or is actually starting to progress and get worse, which I know our cancer patients are always asking, am I better? Am I, am, am I, uh, am I doing the right thing to control the cancer? And th these could be really useful ways to uh, track just exactly how well uh, the therapies are working. Yeah, I think especially when you're coming at uh, cancer from a terrain-based approach, you know, you're oftentimes the traditional oncologists are focused on more, um, the markers that are specific to the cancer itself. Whereas we may be in addition to looking at that, we may also be looking at markers of how is the body and, and, and the body's systems and the inflammation in the body and the terrain of the body actually working. And so we can track progress on those levels instead of just focusing on the cancer itself, because really you want both of those things to be moving in the right direction. Um, not only There's the cancer signals going down, but the body's ability right and the body's health signals improving. Today's podcast is brought to you by Biocenter Laboratories. The Biocenter Laboratory provides state-of-the-art lab testing and diagnostic services for healthcare providers, laboratories, hospitals, and the general public. Lab tests available through Biocenter include a comprehensive list of vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, amino acids, hormones, and pyrroles. They also provide a variety of standardized tests for disease markers. These markers include cardiovascular disease, diabetes, thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalance, and more. Visit biocenterlab.org to learn more. Uh, let's shift our discussion a little bit to angiogenesis. Uh, talk a little bit about that word, angiogenesis, and how does it play into the whole 
role of uh, cancer? Well, just from a basic definition standpoint, angio means blood, genesis means new. So uh, it's the development of new blood vessels. Um, and so your body's always remodeling and, and forming new blood vessels. And that's one of the, um, you know, the amazing uh, abilities of the body is to regenerate, form new blood flow uh, to certain areas. Like you talked about earlier, when you have a wound or an injury, new blood flow is needed sometimes. And so the body's ability to adapt and evolve and, and form these new vessels is, it can be very helpful. But when you have a tumor um, and uh, it has the, also has the ability to sort of hijack this angiogenesis process, uh, that can be a bad thing because, you know, these tumors become like vampires and they just, you know, they, 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 they don't draw the, the blood vessels in uh, at, at a normal healthy rate like you would with an injury or someplace that's trying to repair. They can't get enough. You know, there's no stop sign for them. And, and it's just pedal to the metal as much blood flow as they can get as many nutrients as they can rob from your system. Uh, uh, it's uh, there's there's no stopping them. And so. Um, what we found is that combating angiogenesis or anti-angiogenesis is a very helpful tactic against choking off the blood supply to cancers and stopping them from growing because not only are they pulling blood and pulling nutrients and, and fuel sources in, but that also gives it, um, it, it gives the cancer a pathway to spread because we have these circulating tumor cells that are shedding off of tumors and they're getting into those, those blood vessels and floating around and possibly metastasizing. And so combating angiogenesis is, uh, is vital. And they do have drugs that do that on the, uh, on the traditional side, but they tend to come with a lot of side effects. And honestly, if you look at, you know, a lot of the uh, research Avastin is a very common drug that's used for anti-angiogenesis the research is pretty underwhelming, although it, it, it tends to get used a lot in a lot of different types of tumors, the actual overall survival improvement in patients with that drug is not very good. So it's not really solving the whole problem. Uh, again, it's a little bit more of a Band-Aid approach, but we can do a lot through our diet and through certain supplements and herbs and nutrients and even lifestyle practices that can counteract angiogenesis as well. Yeah, there was a famous book, uh, Eat to Beat Disease, where he went, uh, the author went into great depths about the phytonutrients that are in a colorful mm -hmm. plant-based diet, which is something that we recommend for cancer patients. All cancer patients should be really looking carefully at their diet. And a lot of people say, well, what, what is it about the, uh, the plant-based diet that is beneficial? And so Aren't there just a number of phytonutrients that would help control angiogenesis? Yeah, there are. And like you said, there's been a lot written about this. I really like Dr. William Lee. That's the uh, book. He's written, yeah, yeah he's written a, a couple of books now, I think, about this. And, and you know, is all over social media and websites. And so you can find him pretty easily. But he's uh, really one of the, the, the thought leaders in this area. Um, basically, yeah, like you said, the 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 more colorful, the, the, the better. Uh, we're looking at these compounds that are oftentimes referred to as polyphenols or various other phytonutrients, uh, rich in things like berries and green leafy vegetables and a lot of herbs, parsley and, and things like that. And so um, getting a wide variety of these, because they all kind of have different ways that they help. 
the more variety, the better. And that's why you do want to eat, you know, they say eat the rainbow. It's that's one of the reasons why is because you are taking in a lot of various types of these polyphenols and phytonutrients that can block this, this more, um, disease-based angiogenesis that you see with, with cancerous tumors. And this is kind of takes us back to some of the traditional remedies for cancer, the herbal remedies. It also, I'm thinking of turmeric, it's anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. as well as anti-angiogenic. And so it's, it's interesting that a lot of these, these classic uh, herbal interventions, nutritional interventions, actually are treating a number of the uh, terrains that we're uh, trying to control in terms of helping cancer patients hold the line and, and stop the growth of the tumor. And so, so it's fascinating that, that the ancient sciences are now being verified by uh, modern research. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, another thing that counteracts staying with angiogenesis is exercise. Ah. And, and that kind of that might seem more counterintuitive to some people. Cause I'm like, well, you know, they might think, well, if you're increasing circulation, wouldn't that drive, um, drive blood flow to the tumors as well. But, uh, you know, the bar, the body's very smart and, um, the type of circulation you get from, from exercise actually counteracts the angiogenesis of, of a tumor versus the healthy blood flow and healthy angiogenesis that we want in the body and, and improves the immune, res immune response and the body's ability to circulate in a healthy way. So uh, this is another way that, you know, between not only the diet, but lifestyle interventions, uh, we can counteract that. And I like you brought up curcumin, um, but one of the other things that covers a lot of the terrain, um, the terrain components is IV vitamin C. Ah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't know that in the original RECNAC research, which where Dr. Reardon uh, did, uh, the RECNAC is the word cancer spelled backwards. His goal was to reverse the trends of cancer uh, using uh, substances that were uh, effective, but non-harmful to the body. And uh, it's, it's so interesting that uh, high doses of vitamin C would have an anti-angiogenic effect, except that it was proven very clearly in our research and it's available on our website uh, under our research topic. And uh, uh, this is just one of about uh, seven different ways that IV vitamin C modifies the, uh, the metabolic terrain of the cancer patient's body. Yeah. Another one of those just multifaceted, multi-targeted tools that we have um, in, in our arsenal, uh, obviously why it's a backbone of a lot of our protocols. Um, but yeah, there's so much that can be done. Uh, getting back to just these two components we're talking about today with inflammation and angiogenesis, IV vitamin C, the mistletoe has some, some benefits against angiogenesis and, uh, and inflammation. Uh, curcumin is a great one, melatonin, high dose melatonin. Um, there, there's so many ways that we can, um, help people to take control of some of these things that can be driving the cancer in non-toxic ways, really. Uh, and, and this is what's really being missed when you're just taking a sort of a standard of care approach. Right. It's back to the concept of cancer as the non-healing wound. Everything that we're talking about today uh, represents uh, 
low toxicity, if non-toxic modalities that help promote a, a wound healing process. And this can help to counterbalance the, the, the toxic effects of standard, uh, whether it's chemotherapy or, or radiation. So, so this can be a very complementary way to approach, to approach cancer care. And so isn't this really the essence of integrative oncology? I think so. Um, to me, to you, to all of us that work in this space, it, it all just makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, so, uh, and when we talk to patients, you know, they, they tend to pick it up very quickly too and say, well, gosh, you know, why aren't these big cancer centers and, and why doesn't my traditional oncologist tell me about all this stuff? And there's a lot of reasons why, but, um, to me, if you're, if you're just focused on the cancer and you're not doing anything to support the terrain of the body, the soil of the body, the body's ability to heal itself, uh, you know, you're missing so much. And uh, I think that's why we've been kind of, you know, stuck in neutral in terms of really um, making headway on treating cancer and reversing cancer and, and, and preventing cancer in our, in our country, especially. This uh, really helps to empower cancer patients because very often when they get that, you've got cancer diagnosis, it's, it, it takes the wind out of people's cells. It, 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 they get very uh, depressed. And what they need is empowerment and knowing that they can both attack the tumor and change the, uh, the environment of their body, uh, the terrain of their body in such a way that, uh, that they have a much better chance of getting a, a longer life and better outcomes. 100%. Well, Dr. Timms, thank you so much. This has been an enlightening discussion on inflammation and angiogenesis, uh, uh, integral parts of the 10 terrains of uh, metabolic approach to cancer. So thank you. And, and next time we'll be, uh, we'll be exploring uh, a couple more of these terrains. So hopefully our guests will log in and, and uh, learn more about how they can take better care of themselves and be more effective in their control of the cancer. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.